Psalm 116. 116. Guys, we're almost done with the Psalms. What are we going to do after that? If you have any ideas, let me know. Uh, we've got some time. Uh, but we're nearing the end of the Psalms. We can always go back and just pick up the ones we didn't hit, right? We'll just be in here indefinitely. Yeah, I, yeah this, so we're getting close to Psalm 119, so I was looking, okay, dare I, dare I jump into Psalm 119? I'm like, well, maybe I could do it in portions, right? So let, let's do one, you know, one section of eight verses at a time. Like, oh, that would take me half a year. And I'm like, what if we did, if we did four sections in one night, we'd be done in five weeks. And then I decided, no, I skipped it. And we started looking after that. So it's, what's that? There's no, that's true. There is no hurry. <laughs> there is no hurry. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll uh, I think we, first, we're going, we're going to hop over Psalm 119, and uh, uh, we can always go back to it if we feel like it. Um, all right. Psalm 116 tonight is where we're going to be reading. Um, I know I say this every night, but this is a great psalm, and uh, I hope you appreciate it as well. Uh, let's just open up in prayer before you read this psalm together. Lord, again, we thank you for bringing us here, and we thank you um, that your word is living and active, and it's powerful. Um, God, I pray that whatever burdens are brought into this room tonight, um, whatever struggles and trials people are carrying, uh, that they might bring those struggles and trials to this psalm and, uh, and, and bring those to you. Lord, I pray that this would not be just a simple exercise, but this might be uh, transforming and equipping for our spiritual walk. So I pray that you prepare our hearts in that way and uh, that we would be expectant to see what you're going to do through your word tonight. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my, e- my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer you to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. What did you notice as we read through that song? What stuck out to you? Yes. I think he's so thankful for some amazing miracle that 
Yeah, he, he, he seems to be recounting a difficult situation that he was in. And uh, he's just pouring out his appreciation and love to the, to the Lord because of what he's done. Absolutely. I think I saw Mike here. Yeah, he reminisces some of his distresses of his past. Yes, he does, especially down in uh, 10 and 11, where he talked about his alarm and, and what he was thinking. He voices his inner thoughts when he's, when he's uh, in panic. Um, and again, it greatly equips us for, for when we consider the times in our life that are similar. Yes, Stephanie. In 8 and 9, he's encouraging himself by remembering who God is and his characteristics. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good. What else? Justin. I'm always struck by like, verses like verse 6, as the Lord preserves the simple. Mm-hmm. And God will always save me. And just the uh, reality that a lot of times we, we don't think we're simple. We think we're something special. Yeah. Humbling of oneself to be bowed down to the king is worthy. Yes. I think it's just, just shouts of praise to the humbling. Yeah. And what a, what actually, and we'll talk about this, but what a comfort it is that God preserves the simple, right? Because we do make much of ourselves, but when we realize, when we're honest with ourselves, we're like, man, I'm, I'm nothing much. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not that impressive. Does God, does God preserve me? Does he save me? Absolutely. He preserves the simple. You know, he's not waiting for us to become someone impressive before he rescues us. You actually just saw that mark where it said the common man was happy. Yeah. I love that. that yeah. The common man was happy and heard mm-hmm. and didn't miss the Messiah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Good. Anything else? Paul? I see it says, I'll pay my vows to the Lord. And the second time, verse 8, verse 14, and verse 19, it says, where do you do that? Mm-hmm. In the court of the house of the Lord. Yes. Yeah, and we'll see what the significance of that language of paying my vows to the Lord, because uh, that is a thing that we see multiple times in the psalm. What is that referring to, and, and how is that a proper response for us when we're giving thanks to God? Anything else? All right, well, let's jump in. Let's go up to verse 1. And I just love the simplicity of how this psalm begins. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. And there's some connections. Each phrase is connected to the next. What's the connecting word that we see next? Because. All right, so I love the Lord. Because why? All right, so God has heard. He has, he has heard my voice. He's heard my pleas for mercy. And then here we see because a second time. Because he inclined his ear to me. I love that imagery, by the way. Don't you? He inclined his ear to me. I mean, just imagine, what what do you envision when you hear that phrase, right? Someone someone cupping their ear, leaning down. You know, I think of when my my four-year-old son is complaining and worried about something, and and he's trying to tell me something, and so I have to kind of get down on his level, right, and try to give him my attention to hear what he's trying to say. That's the God of the universe toward you. He inclines his ear to you. And so I love the Lord because he has done this. Where's the next connecting word? Therefore, Therefore, very good. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. 
Now, when we see this word call, and this shows up multiple times, even in the psalm, if you're going to, like we talked about, one thing you can do is you're trying to discern what's the meaning of a, of a psalm or a passage, look for repeating words, right? And see what themes come up time and time again. You're going to see the idea of calling on God multiple times in the psalm. And depending on the context, this can mean either petition or proclamation, right? Uh, either you're, you're crying out to God to help, or you're calling out to him in praise. I think in this context, it's probably proclamation. Therefore, I will, I will proclaim his name. I'll, I'll worship him as long as I live. I'll be a lifelong worshiper of God because of what he has done. And so, putting all this together, he says, I love God because he's heard my voice, and so therefore, I will worship him. I mean, what if we made this a formula for our own lives? If you were to fill in the blanks, I love God because, why? Fill in the blank. Why do you love God? Therefore, I will blank. How would you fill in that sentence for yourself? I love God because he's done this, because this is who he is, because this is what he's done in my life. And so, so often we stop there, don't we? I love God because he's this. But what if we continue? Therefore, I will do this. Where's the response in our lives for everything God has done? First John 4.19, what do we read? We love him because he first loved us. And we see even in 1 John that the response, the therefore, of our love for God because of his love for us is our love for others. And so there should be a response, there should be an outpouring, a therefore, to our love for God. What is it for you? How would you fill in that sentence? I love the Lord because this, and therefore, I will do this. So for this particular psalmist, he, he seems to be referring to a specific situation that he is struggling in. We see this in, verses, in verse 3 particularly. And he does a really good job describing the desperation of this situation. He, he, he used very, very poetic language to describe this is how bad things were. How does he describe it? Well, the snares of death encompassed me. You know, there's some very intimidating verbs here. The pangs of Sheol lay hold on me. Even these nouns over here are very intimidating. The snares of death. The pangs of Sheol. What's a snare? What does it do? What does a snare do? It traps you, right? So he's feeling trapped. As the snares of death are encompassing him, surrounding him, closing him in. The pangs of Sheol. This is the idea of of just terror. They're laying hold on me. Have you been in such a situation like this? I mean, perhaps we don't know the situation of the psalmist. He could have been facing literal death, right? He could have been at death's doorstep. And the snares of death are encompassing him, laying hold on him. But but we we experience this same type of at least emotional turmoil and desperation in, in so many different ways. 
Think about what it is for you. He suffered two things, distress and anguish. Can we come up with some, some synonyms just to get a bigger uh, idea of what he's going through? Distress. What other words could we use to describe that? Anxiety, yeah, absolutely. Anything else? Yeah, sure. Despair. Uh, you know, just great need. Distress. There's, 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 you know, when someone's distressed, you can imagine someone just you know, looking around for, for help anywhere, right? They're distressed. They're, they're in panic. Anguish. What kind of words might we substitute for anguish? Yeah, suffering, uh, grief, perhaps. Anything else? Intense emotional pain. Yeah, that's. You know what? We could just kind of do this. It's exactly what the psalmist is going through here. Intense emotional pain, distress, anguish. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me, and I suffered from distress and anguish. Death in the grave, like, a, like an evil villain, has trapped him in its clutches and is squeezing. And the psalmist feels the distress, the anxiety, the agony of his desperate situation. And perhaps you are sitting here thinking, yep, I've, I've been there. I know exactly what that feels like. I know the intense emotional pain that comes along with that. Dennis? Drowning man. Yeah, the, the, the picture of a, of a drowning man, right? I was, when I was really young, I, uh, I was at a hotel pool with my older siblings, and, I, and he, my, my, my older brother was holding me on his, uh, on his shoulders, right? He took me to the deep end before I could swim, right? He slipped, I fell in. And there's no greater picture to describe the distress, the panic, the, the, the overwhelming, just every sense in your body is firing on all cylinders um, of feeling like you're drowning. And uh, that panic that we experience in a physical situation like that, we can experience very similarly in just an emotional sense. Or we feel like we're drowning. So what does this almost do? Here's another connecting word. Then, in that situation, I called on the name of the Lord. Here we see call again. Is it in the same sense as this one? Proclamation praise? No, it's not. This is petition. And we see that right here. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Deliver my soul. He could do nothing else, right? He's in distress. He's in anguish. He can't help himself. The, the pangs of death have, been, have laid hold on him, and he is in a, in a completely helpless situation. And so he cries out to the Lord, Lord, deliver my soul. Now, does God answer his prayer? Well, I'm going to skip ahead real quick because we see the answer to the prayer laid out specifically in verse 8. All right, so here's the prayer. Here's the answer. For you have delivered my soul from death. Okay, so uses the same language as from his prayer. 
You've saved my eyes from tears and my feet from stumbling. Right? So remember when we saw anguish? The tears, the sorrow? We saw distress, the anxiety. I think that these phrases point to an exact answer to prayer for the exact situation that he describes up in verse 3. I suffered distress and anguish, but God delivered, and he gives three phrases to describe God's deliverance. You delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so he's writing the psalm within the context of an answered prayer. God, you have answered my prayer. I love you. Before he gets to that answered prayer, he, he, he pauses and he details how good God is. Verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous and he's merciful. Three attributes of who God is. He's gracious. He gives grace. He has compassion. He's righteous. He is truth. He is fair. He is just. Gracious, righteous. Have we heard of this pairing anywhere else before? What was Jesus described in John 1? Full of grace and truth. In fact, we read John 1.14. says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. How do we know that Jesus was God? Because He exhibited, He showed the glory of the Father. And what did that look like? Grace and truth. How is God described here in Psalm 116, verse 5? Full of grace and truth. It's the same God. For anyone who says, oh, the, old, the God of the Old Testament is completely different than the God of the New, is completely different than Jesus. That's, that's ridiculous. It's the same God. Same God, full of grace, full of truth. He's merciful. The idea of mercy has this idea of compassion and pity. We've seen this word come up in the Psalms quite a bit often used to describe a mother with her child. That's what God is like. He sees you in your desperation and he has pity. He has graciousness toward you. And so the psalmist is, is, is glorifying God for who he is and what he has done. Comments or questions before we continue forward? Is this, person, is this chapter, is this not talking about salvation, the whole thing? Well, I think it's definitely, I mean, it is about salvation, right? Um, if the question is, are you saying, is it, is it directly in reference to salvation from our sins, like believing? In... Mm -hmm. I think there's definitely an element to that. Yes, and, and I think you point out some, some very important connections there. That, that is exactly what salvation is, right? We see our desperate state. 
You know, you can't hear the good news before you understand the bad news. That we're, that we're lost, that we're sinners, that we're heading to hell, that the cords of death are encompassing me. And I cry out to God. That's all we can do as sinners. We cry out to God in our desperation and say, God, save me, deliver my soul. Um, and it's God's graciousness and his mercy and his righteousness that comes down and rescues us. That is the gospel. And that's exactly, that's exactly true. I would say it, it extends beyond that because also this is one of his children writing this psalm. And I think he's also referring to, I think in this situation, he's referring to a trial that he's going through. And he's going through this difficulty. And he sees death closing in. And he calls out to his God, asking for deliverance. And so I think what that points to the fact that, really, our relationship to God at the beginning, at salvation, that it's, it's all of mercy, it's all of grace, it's, it's, it's us seeing our sin and crying out to a God to save us, that mindset continues throughout your entire Christian life. It doesn't change, right? You, you, you're still in need of God. You still need His grace. And so there's definitely truths that point to the very essence of the gospel here. Um, and, and, but it, it also applies to when we as Christians, after we've been saved, the difficulties that we go through in life, we should relate to God in this exact same way. God, deliver me. God is still gracious and righteous and merciful. Good question. Verse 6, as we mentioned, mentioned earlier, God preserves or saves the simple. And again, I, I don't know about you, but this is just great news for me. <laughs> the, uh, what other book of the Bible do we hear a lot about the simple man? Proverbs. Probably, probably Ecclesiastes 2, written by the same guy, right? Um, the simple man. Now, how would we dif- distinguish the simple man from the fool or the scoffer in the book of Proverbs. He's, you know, if you read Proverbs, you see the scoffer, you see the fool, you see the wise man, you see the simple man. Where does the simple man line up between all those different groups? Lori? He's the humble one and the lowly one. Okay, he could be. He's, he, whether or not he is actively humble and, and, and is, is, is actively pursuing humility isn't necessarily the case. Um, you definitely need humility to recognize yourself as a simple person. Um, uh, so as an element to that, absolutely. Anything else? Unknowing. Unknowing, okay. So uh, maybe naive, inexperienced, right? Uh, this is someone, in, in, in Proverbs especially, it's used in, often to refer to the, um, the young person, the youth, uh, the simple person. And so who does God preserve here? If we're going to use the word naive, one, one commentator I, I read describes it this way. They're inexperienced, okay? So they don't have much experience under their belt. Uh, they're easily seduced, right? So they fall for anything. They're gullible. Um, and so the pro- Proverbs sets up the simple person, not as bad as the scoffer or the fool, but definitely in a vulnerable position. Because they're open to deception, right? So the simple man is easily seduced. The simple man needs instruction. And here's the, here's the big distinguishing factor between the simple person and the fool or the scoffer. The simple person is capable of learning. The fool is wise in his own eyes. The simple 
is like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no clue, right? I'm, I'm lost. That's who God saves. Why wouldn't he have the same approach to the scoffer or the fool? Yeah, they don't think they need help, right? Oh yeah, the cords of death are encompassing me. I got this. Right? <laughs> Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Mm. So the testimony of the Lord is sure, meaning wise, simple. Very good. Thank you for that. Psalm 19, 7, verse 7, talks about how the, 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 the audience that the Bible is intended for is the simple. And it makes wise the simple. God has special attention to the simple man. Now, maybe you find yourself here. Maybe you don't. Maybe you think you're, you're pretty impressive. All right. But um, let's say you find yourself here. You're simple. You're, you feel inexperienced. You feel like you're easily deceived, right? I mean, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm scared because I feel like I might fall for, for anything, right? Um, I need instruction. I'm not all there. I don't understand all I need to know about God. But I want to learn, right? Maybe that's you. Now put yourself in that situation. Would that be kind of scary? Distress and anguish? And at that very moment, you feel like you have no capability, you have no skill, you have no ability to get yourself out of it. You're simple. Talk about desperate. Talk about scary. But what great news that the Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Have you ever felt low? Brought, just found yourself in a low spot in life? That's where God goes. That's where God reaches down. And so this man experiences the prayer answered. And then verse 7 is just, just a wonderful verse. Return, O my soul, to your rest. Don't you love it when the psalmist talks to themselves? Return, O my soul, to your rest. Soul, you can rest now. Do you miss having a restful soul? You, 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 you know, you're in a spot where you, your whole life is in turmoil. Maybe not outwardly, but inwardly. There's no rest there. It's restless. It's, it's full of anxiety, full of fear. And you wish, man, I just want to go back. You know, I want to go back to when I was a kid. And I just got to play all day. And I didn't have cares or jobs or bills or responsibilities or anything like that, right? What happens when we get older? The, the, the stressors, the weights of life just start to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And our souls become restless. And our souls become weighed down. And on top of that, there's trials in this sin-cursed world and full of grief and sorrow and fear. And all that's added to just the normal responsibilities of life. We have restless souls. But when we consider who God is and His graciousness and His righteousness and His mercy and that He preserves the simple and He saves those who are brought low and we cry out to Him in dependent trust and we see His faithfulness, we're able to tell our soul, even when things are still crazy, Perhaps the cords of death are still wrapping themselves around us. We can tell our soul, soul, you can take a deep breath. You can rest. 
Again, I, I feel like I go to this verse often, but, but Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, right? And I will give you rest. So ask yourself, how, how can you bring these dangers and difficulties to God in prayer? How can you bring them to God? Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Return, O my soul, to your rest. Why? Why? Very good. Four, there's another connecting word. Why should I return to my rest? Because God's dealt bountifully with you. We've already seen that this is an answer to his prayer in verse 4. That, that God, has, God has rescued him. As we consider God's own graciousness to us, how has he dealt bountifully with you? And he explains how God has dealt bountifully with him in the next verses. So God has dealt bountifully with me. Here's another connecting word. See, connecting words are really important when you're reading. Look for those, because they're going to show the relationship between verses. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Why can I rest? Very simply put, God's answered my prayer. God has dealt bountifully with me. The bountiful provision is in reference to God answering his prayer for deliverance, that he has not given over his soul to death. He has dried his tears. He's made his feet stable. In fact, we, we, hear, we, we, we even learn in Psalm 103, forget not all his benefits. And then we recounted those. What does those benefits include? That he's rescued us and forgiven us and he has crowned us with steadfast love and, and, and faithfulness. All these things God has heaped upon us. You have delivered my soul from death. And so verse 9, because he has delivered me, what does the psalmist do? And what is that, what's that saying? What? Say that again. Walking in obedience, very good. So God kept his feet in, from stumbling. He was stumbling, he was unstable. So God gave him solid ground. And what did the psalmist do? Because I'm now on solid ground, I'm going to walk toward him. I'm going to follow him. God makes my steps firm, therefore I'm going to walk before him. If it's God who saved me, then it's God I'm following. Have you ever found yourself in a situation when you feel like your walk with God is impeded because your own steps are stumbling? Where you, 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 you're so unstable, you're so fearful, that you conclude, I just can't follow God as I want to. And you see it affecting your walk. How can you give your burdens to God? Trust in his character. Return to your rest so that you can follow him again. Now, a lot of times when we're, when we're looking at our lack of following God and we're disappointed in that, 
What does God tell us? All right, well, let's deal, let's deal with your soul. Let's deal with, with, what's, with what's going on inside you. What do you need to give over to me? What do you need to bring to me? What do you need to trust me with so that I can give you the stability and the rest that allows you to walk before me in obedience? Questions? Comments? Paul? As a result, you have confidence. Yes, you do. And that you see that stability language walking, right? As you see, as you follow God, he, he gives you that confidence. Very good. Yeah. Verses 10 and 11, fascinating, fascinating verses. First line is actually kind of hard to understand. I believed even when I spoke. Now, um, someone with a different version, this is ESP, someone with a different version, do you see, do you have a different phrase there? Yes, right. In the Amplified it says, I will walk, uh, I'm sorry, I believed and clung to my God when I said, I am greatly afflicted. Okay, all right. Anyone else have something? Yes. New King James says, I believed, therefore I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. Okay, so there's an interesting one. Therefore, I spoke. Now, does that make, does that kind of add a different nuance a little bit? It does. Even when I spoke versus therefore I spoke, what's the difference? Well, I believed even when I spoke, it's saying I, 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 even when I said this, I was still believing. They're in contrast with each other, right? Therefore is saying, because I believed, I said this. So, so in one sense, if it's therefore, then you're saying the phrase I'm greatly afflicted is a result of my belief. If it's even when I spoke, then you're saying I believed even when I was crying out in distress. So the question is, which is it? Well, again, Hebrew's tricky. Um, that's the lesson we've learned as we go through this study, right? There's a Hebrew conjunction here with a wide range of meanings. All right, if you're curious, it's this, all right, key, all right? I, I don't know if I spelled that right. It's just scribbles, all right? Um, and it could mean causal, therefore. It could mean temporal, when, or it could have an idea of concession, so even though. And it just depends on context. So we're asking the question, did his belief result in the words that he spoke, or did he maintain belief in spite of the words that he spoke? King James, New King James says, therefore. Nasby uh, says when, I believed when I spoke. Um, I believe, it, I think it's therefore, I think therefore is better. I think the Nasby gets closer and the King James, New King James gets closest. Uh, and here's why I think that. Number one, the Septuagint, which is the Greek, New, Greek translation of the Old Testament that was read by, by Jesus and, and the, the disciples, they translate this as, I believed, therefore I spoke. And then guess what? If you're to look in 2 Corinthians 4.13, it's quoted. This psalm is quoted. And how do they quote it? 2 Corinthians 4.13, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. So when Paul quotes this, he says, what I say stems from what I believe. I believe this, therefore I say this. And he quotes Psalm 116. 
So, I think it's great to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Let's, 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 let's say, therefore. Now, I think the, 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 the point being that there's a trust here in, in what he's saying, right? So, I think his words, I am greatly afflicted, are words that come from his belief, namely his belief in God, which means that these words he spoke are words he spoke to God. I think he's saying, God, I'm greatly afflicted. He's calling out to God. Because he believes in God's deliverance, he cries out to God that he is greatly afflicted. So he's running to the only one who can help. So that's what this first part is saying. These are words from belief. Now verse 11 is in contrast to that. These are words from alarm. Alarm could be the idea of distress or haste. I said in my haste or anxiety, perhaps. When he was in panic, what did he shout out? All mankind are liars. Like our hasty words most often are, they're a bit exaggerated, right? Um, in truth, not every single person on the planet is an unreliable liar. But it sure felt that way to him, didn't it? What about you? Okay. What are your words of alarm? In my alarm, I say... What are the hasty generalizations, the, the, the words of panic that often come to our minds when we're in haste, when we're alarmed? And you want to provide an example. <laughs> Maybe getting really dark here. There's no purpose in life. <laughs> that's, imper- that's important. That changes the meaning a little bit. Okay, there's no purpose in life. Right? That's a, it's a generalization, but it's, it's a words that come from a, a real sense of fear and panic and, 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 and anxiety. What else might we say? What's the use? What's the use? Yep. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Anything else? Say, nothing ever goes right for me. Or, there's, there's no way I can fix this. All of these have the common features of being hyperbolic, right? They're, they're, they're general. They're, just, they're absolute statements. And in reality, they're, you know, those situations are not absolute, right? But it feels that way, right? So I'm not saying this to say, well, how dare you have such thoughts? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is often how we think when we're in panic. That there's no way I can fix this. Nothing ever goes right. There's no purpose. Who cares? What's the use? All men are liars, 
All is vanity. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Absolutely. That's a good one. But yet, is there also truth in this? There's some, isn't there? What, what is the truth that that hasty word is pointing to? What, what fact is that hasty word pointing to? All men are sinners. Is it worth it to trust in mankind? No, it's, it's like, don't trust in man, trust in God, right? Yeah. So, so there, there's hasty words, but I think these hasty words point to where our hope should be. Right? So it's, all mankind are liars. That's the words in my haste. So what should be the words of my belief? God, I'm greatly afflicted. Help. Right? There isn't help in man. There's help in God. Can we do the same thing with these? There's no purpose in life. How do we direct that to God? There's purpose in you. You're the creator. Right? And so you are, this is the vanity of vanities thing. Right? Yeah, you're right. There is, you look in this life and you, it's hard to find purpose sometimes. Can we use that, those hasty words to direct us back to the God of truth? What's the use? Who cares? How can we use that one? God does, right? God, I, I'm, I'm right now, I'm not seeing the care of others. I'm not, you know, no one's caring for me. Who cares? What's the point? And that, those words of panic can actually direct you to the God of truth. Nothing ever goes right. It does feel like that sometimes. Yeah, Lori. So, I'm just, I'm looking at these, and like you said, these are the no hope statements. Yes. And our hope is in God. And if you go back to verse 4, mm -hmm. the first thing he does is he says, Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Mm -hmm. That's the first glimmer of hope right. that we see here. Because if you didn't know that God could, could save you, mm -hmm. you wouldn't call on him. Yes. If you knew it was a, a, a failed action, you yes. would do it. Yes, that's exactly right. So, so you see that hope there, and the words of his alarm point to where his hope should be, right? If we try to find hope in the reliability of mankind, is that a great strategy? No way. If we try to find hope by finding purpose in and of ourselves, is that a great strategy? No. We find our purpose in God. If we find our hope by everything going right, things going the way that we plan, is that a great strategy? No. No. That's not going to work out well. There's no way I can fix this. If we place our hope in my ability to fix everything, is that going to be a good strategy? No. Do you see how the words that we blurt out in our haste, in our alarm, can point to how God can actually help and where our hope should be? And so, as he recounts this answer to prayer, he says, What shall I render to the Lord? For all of his benefits to me. Again, Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns your life with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies the good, you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, have you ever felt indebted to somebody that you wish you could just pay it back? 103, verses 2 through 5. What about all the benefits God has given you? How are you ever going to repay back to Him? Is it even possible to repay Him for everything He's done? It's not. 
There's absolutely nothing we can do to even things out. His grace and his mercy are unmatched. So what's the only thing that we can do? Well, the psalmist tells us. What, are the, what does he do? We see it in two repeated words. I will, I will, okay? So, I will, number one, lift up the cup of my salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Number two, I will pay my vows. There's that pay my vows language that we're going to mention. What are these referring to? Cup, we often, we've seen before that cup, the cup can often refer to our lot in life, our destiny, right? That's not what it's referring to here. Um, the cup is, in this sense, is, is when you would uh, pour out on the altar in connection with your sacrifice of praise. It was a drink offering. Uh, Numbers 28, verse 7 talks about, In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offer, offering of strong drink to the Lord. So you're pouring out a drink offering in connection with your sacrifice. This is the cup of your salvation. In other words, raising this cup because of the salvation that you have received in God. And so what is the first thing that the psalmist says he'll do? I will publicly praise and adore God. And here's that call, that word again. This is in the context of worship. I will call upon the name of the Lord. What can I render to God for all of his benefits toward me? Well, number one, I can't actually repay him, but what I can do, I can thank him, and I can praise him, and I can glorify him. What about the second one? I will pay my vows to the Lord. What are these vows he's talking about? Yeah, this idea of obedience, yes. But oftentimes when we read lament psalms, where they're going through difficult times, one thing we see the psalmist do is they'll say, God, if you will deliver me, I vow that I will proclaim your glory and your praise to everybody. And so, and a lot of times they'll say, there's no, there's no praise in the grave, Lord, right? Like if, if I die, I can't praise you to the congregation. If you spare me, what am I going to do? I'm going to praise you. I vow to do that. So what's he doing in verse 14? He's saying, God, the vows that I gave when I was calling out to you, it's time for me to pay those. He has been delivered, and so now it's time to make good on those vows. We see this idea really clearly in Psalm 66, verses 13 through 15. It says this, I will come into your house with burnt offerings, I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. Right? So when I was in trouble, I uttered vows. And now I'm going to come into your house and I'm going to perform those vows. And these vows are almost always vows of praise. God, I will proclaim your name. I will glorify you. In other words, it's not saying I'm going to be a really good person and I'm going to earn all of the, everything that you gave me. Right? I'm going to, you gave me a gift, now I'm going to earn it back. That's not what we're talking about because that's impossible. We can't do that saying, God, all I can do is praise you. So going back to verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord? Well, in one sense, there's no way I can repay him, not to mention that you aren't supposed to repay grace, right? Because then it's not grace anymore. There's only two things you can do. Number one, give God glory by thanking and praising him, and give God glory by telling other people about it. So worship and witness. Very good. Worship and witness. Thank you. I was looking for a good parallel words there. Uh, something that we've heard once or twice recently here. Worship and witness. Absolutely. What is our appropriate response when God shows his faithfulness and grace to us? Worship and witness. Praising God, telling others. 
Now, in light of all this, verse 15 sounds kind of strange. He's talking about deliverance from death, and then in verse 15 we say, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Can someone explain that to me? What do do we mean when we say that the death of God's saints is precious in God's sight? What's that saying? Any ideas? Okay, they're coming to him. All right. I feel like it's saying that someone who has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Mm -hmm. is precious Mm -hmm. in the Lord's sight. Think about Norm Randall, you know. Yeah. So in other words, like, like, like Norm Randall, right? Did his death go unnoticed or forgotten in God's eyes? No. Not at all, right? I think this idea of precious inside the Lord is like God cares so deeply for his saints that even their death, God's attention is on. God, God treasures his children so much. God does not treat the death of his beloved children with indifference. He is not surprised by it, right? When a believer dies, if it's precious in God's sight, what does that mean? It means it happens under the watchful and loving care of our Father. We see in this passage that God is actually eager to save from death. And so we know that when death does come, it's under the watchful and sovereign care of God. Because I know my death is precious to Him, I know He will not treat my life flippantly, or carelessly. The precious in God's sight is the death of his saints. He will preserve me and protect me until he is ready to call me home. And so, we see God's faithfulness even when death does come. Precious gives this idea of attention, care, closeness, treasured. God does not forget his servants, even in death. And so verse 16, down to the end of the psalm, he goes back to his response to God's deliverance. How does, he, how does the psalmist identify himself? As his servant. Lord, I'm your servant. Again, I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. God, for all of your benefits... What does he give God? He does. He'll offer you, but before that, himself. I'm your servant. At your service, God. I am yours. He says, you have loosed my bonds. Now, that's interesting. What kind of master looses the chains of his own servant? A loving master, absolutely, a good master. Is that the bonds of sin? I think it's the bonds of, of captivity, of, you know, the, earlier we saw the, 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 the cords of death encompassing him, right? Um, that, that he's being restricted by this, right? 
bonds, this word for bonds is, the, is kind of that constricting idea. And so he's saying this idea of rescuing, right? And, but, but when we talk about a master-servant relationship, we often consider the master and servant relationship as one of captivity, right? But from the master. And here we see that servitude to Christ is actually one of freedom. You have loosed my bonds. Servitude to God is the greatest life-giving privilege. To serve as his slave is to live in freedom under his watchful care, following him. And so again, he calls out, I will, I will, I will. I will offer and call. I will pay my vows in the presence of all his people. Payment, praise and payment of vows is, is repeated. And so we see this connection between how he sees himself as God's servant with how he responds. And this is a good example and a good um, lesson for us as well. How do you see yourself before God? I am his servant, therefore I will pay my vows and I will praise him. What else could we put in here? I am his child. I am his chosen one. Right? One way of, of magnifying everything God is to you is recognizing who you are to God. I am his servant. I am his child. I am his friend. Do you see yourself accurately before God? That's where peace and rest comes. When you see yourself accurately in the light of God's benefits toward you, it prompts you to respond with praise and allegiance to your God. And here we see this public nature of his praise. Where is he going to pay his vows and praise him? The presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. And then with this final chorus, praise the Lord. He is deserving of it. How are you going to respond to God for all of his benefits to you? You're going to praise him? You're going to tell about it? You're going to glorify him? How can you take the inner turmoil and struggle, the alarm that you have in your heart, and bring that to God and see how he is the one, the only one who can answer the distress and alarm of your own soul? Any thoughts, questions? Yes. I don't think he's referring to a specific sacrifice there, like a burnt offering or anything like that. You know, the a sacrifice of praise we see, or um, the fruit of our lips, Hebrews 13 talks about. And so I think it's a poetic way of saying, I'm going to offer to God my thanksgiving as a sacrifice. Yeah, good. Yes, Bob? It's that last phrase, praise the Lord, in the original language, is that a command? It, it does seem like that. I haven't looked at the exact Hebrew for that, but um, it does seem to be a, at, at the very least, an invitation, right, um, for all to praise the Lord. That it's our necessary response to God based off who He is. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up there because uh, we're out of time. Uh, but let's pray. Next week is going to be Psalm 121. A little shorter, eight verses. Uh, we're going to get into that's the Psalms of Ascent. It's a series of Psalms. 
um, that's a part of. So Psalm 121 is going to be next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is so powerful to us, helps us where we are in our need and our desperation. We thank you that you preserve and save simple people like us. I pray we would trust you. I pray that we would cry out to you in our distress, that we would run to you, that we would see who you are in your word and have faith in that and confidence in that. Lord, help us not to have confidence in this world and in, 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 the, in the unreliability of mankind and the, in the unreliability of broken dreams or expectations. But Lord, we place our, all of our hope, all of our trust in you, knowing that you are a good, faithful, sovereign, holy God who loves us and cares for us. And that even our death is precious in your sight. You have us in your hand and we can rest.